0: On today's episode of Holly Weird Paranormal, we surface from our little hiatus as we team up with our pattern friends, Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh of LA Not So Confidential. Come and join the banter and the roundtable discussion as we sit down and talk about LA Deidre Hall's possible possession storyline return on Days of Our Lives. And finally, the True Crime and Paranormal Association of the Barclay Hotel. You'll finally learn and understand why Bryce Mitchell Williams takes the stairs instead of the elevator. Well, it just so happens that the Barclay Hotel has a lot of history and a lot of tragedy and quite a few ghosts learn the many freak accidents, murders, and even serial killers that resided within the walls of the Barclay Hotel. Then we go into the Paranormal Association. It turns out that this hotel has a lot of ghost stories, but for some reason those who've experienced the hauntings there have a hard time sharing these stories. What well, could it be the ghosts of LA's past? Or could it be something else, something a little more sinister? Well, you got to stay tuned. So grab your iced coffee, your favorite delicious cocktail, or hell, even grab your salt lamp because you might want to lick it after listening to the True Crime and Paranormal Association of the Barclay Hotel as we get holly-weird, not-so-confidential with our friends from LA, not-so-confidential.
1: Ghost stories are always scarier when they're told by
0: the very people who experience them. Hi, I'm Becky. And I'm Diana. And we're the hosts of the Homespun Haints podcast. We talk to people just like you who've come face to face with ghosts, demons, haints, and other strange paranormal phenomena. All of it makes for a chilling good time.
1: So grab yourself a sweet
0: tea, turn off the lights, and listen to some eerie true ghost stories on Homespun Haints wherever you get your podcasts
2: i'm not scared are you
0: hey guys welcome to another wonderful and long awaited episode uh, of holy yes. weird paranormal podcast we are your hosts Tammy Merhab Chavez
3: hi i'm Bryce Mitchell Williams
0: and welcome back i know it's been uh it's been a, it's been a while and Many minutes. Yes, <laughs> we've taken a much needed yet longer break than usual. We just wanted to say thank you for everyone who voiced their concern, but don't worry. We were coming back. A lot of things happened. We had a lot of great uh, personal endeavors, transitions, and Bryce had to be in quarantine for the hundredth time, unfortunately. Um, I know, yeah. <laughs> So we are back and we have a great treat for you. But before we jump into that, I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who messaged me in regards to Hurricane Ida. Um, For those of you that don't know or um, uh, are just joining us for the first time, I'm originally from New Orleans and yes, um, Ida hit and devastated parts of uh, Louisiana and my family is fine they knew what to do they evacuated in time and they're safe and fortunately uh, miraculously their homes are fine so thank you guys so much for those loving and conserved messages but let's move forward with our special guests we've been on their podcast several times and we were like let's get them on today's episode because we have a little plug to put into this episode. Um, on October 9th, we're going to have a meet and greet with our listeners, with our podern friends from Ellie Not So Confidential. We have Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Hey. Welcome. Hi.
4: Hey, guys. Hey, guys.
2: We're so <laughs> excited.
0: I just realized, I was like, Bryce, we haven't had them on the podcast yet. He was like. I
4: know.
3: <laughs> it's so crazy because it's like, time is a myth anyway. And I think it that it's still like, I don't yeah. know, roughly 2012. So I was actually, when (laughs) we were getting ready this morning, I was like, oh, my God. When we all met over at the Grove, that was like years ago. Like a long
1: standing love affair. Yes, that was. Well, y'all have (laughs) one of the best Tinder dates we've ever happened.
3: (laughs) I think that's really the explanation. You have Stockholm Syndrome. We're very lucky. We
0: are. I mean, that was
3: literally years ago.
0: it (laughs) It was. Blessed by the appearance of um, what is it Evan Peters
3: yes and
0: <laughs> well, uh, yeah Emma Roberts were we there Roberts. so we were like
1: oh this was meant to be it and was a very meant
3: to be? Hollywood experience like what's <laughs> happening right now
1: <laughs> as we're shoveling pancakes into our oh case. right like no <laughs> shame. coffee it was perfection
3: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if you're not going to eat carbs in front of a celebrity like you're not living
4: so yeah. right
0: not doing it right Exactly. Yeah. This is so delicious. Emma. Yeah. Punish
4: them for being wealthier and more beautiful than you by eating like, carbs. I was like polishing my uh, butter knife. Going like, <laughs> I know. What, do do? what are they doing now? What are they doing now?
0: Uh, see. Like <laughs> some of nice. like trying to do the, the thing with their phone, like yeah.
1: right, like smile, Scott. I know. Zoomed in past his shoulder.
3: The best like Hollywood secret that I don't think people realize when you don't live here, and I certainly didn't, because all you see is on television. So they're like glamorous and beautiful when you see celebrities in real life it is a 50 50 shot of if it's like a homeless doppelganger or the celebrity themselves because they looked ragged like no judgment all god's children but like when they walked in i was like oh okay
4: well interestingly enough there's been studies on this because one of the things that a lot of people don't under don't realize is that the thing what photographs really well for television and film looks odd in person like if you've yeah. ever seen ben affleck in person and i my one encounter with with ben affleck very nice guy he is enormous mm-hmm. with like a huge mardi gras sized head yeah. and it's it's something that photographs really well it's like all the stars are just walking popsicles they're that like skinny bodies it's with big Kristen heads be, is it, the,
3: yeah the perfect example of that like yeah it literally photographs looks like really a head well just like toothpicks for legs yes. and arms. <laughs>
2: i love her i love all
4: of these i do too yeah yeah but then they have to they also the camera does add weight i mean when i was working at nbc Mm -hmm. i remember going over to the commissary for lunch and i would see all the days of our lives people come over and deidre hall would come out and like (gasps) get her tray and pick up like two pieces of celery and a radish and that would be her lunch and she was gorgeous still gorgeous today but like just like as big around as your finger, and then on camera you would go, "Oh, she, she's got a really nice regular shape." I mean, yeah. it's, cameras it's so not, weird. especially not fair to women. Yeah, you
0: brought up Deidre Hall. Did you see that they're bringing back the Demon Story? Possession storyline. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, I heard that. Yes. Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> that good God eat out in high school when I would
4: because why that, not
0: that storyline yeah do you remember <laughs> do
4: you remember that big latex demon that like kept materializing in the in the hospital room oh yes oh. I
0: remember when she had the split pea soup moment with uh Father Black but I remember Father John Black in in Days of Our Life I was like wow okay that man hilarious is wow. a priest
4: oh great her, hair <laughs> mullet priest
0: the mullet priest <laughs> 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 yes. <laughs> It was so bad that it was so good that story oh yeah.
4: but that's yeah. why we love soap I mean and that that's interesting story that stuff's camp. kind of disappeared from daytime television really like
0: mm-hmm.
4: that was fun stuff though
0: Deidre Hall gotta bring it back
4: and yes. split
0: tea soup of course <laughs> well guys on October 9th I just want to reiterate that mm-hmm. we will be having a meet and greet with our pattern friends at mm-hmm. the NBC Bar and Grill in Universal Studios in Hollywood California I believe it's in City Walk, right? Yes. The Park Grill? Yes. So we'll be there from five till seven and then enter the park and then participate in the amazing mazes. Uh, Join us as we brace ourselves around Bryce. We create a human shield of comfort (laughs) and safety. (laughs) He still is feeling a little indifferent about it. The thing
3: that's so funny is that like, all of my friends and like people from the school like <laughs> i know so many people who work the mazes like every year people are posting like so excited to be back and like howling horror nights like this is great i see all the makeup and it's like i know that it's not real obviously like i'm not a child except that i'm a hundred percent a child and i need the like safety light that means i can't be scared and, it's the uh, jump scares
1: for me I just
3: i'm just gonna go to the harry potter world. out of nowhere great. <laughs> oh, God. oh
2: my gosh!
1: You'll have a blast. You You'll will. be dragging us back every year. Yeah. <laughs> we'll bring it's, some. It's a hot it's a great yesterday.
4: adrenaline rush. I love yeah. I love them. Mm. I mean, yeah. I I just think it's I love that that I I laugh uncontrollably, like even when I'm scared. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, your defense it's actually
1: mechanism. <laughs>
2: it's
4: actually yeah. not a really good thing in in real situations, but. Yeah, I love the jump scares and just dissolving into laughter. It's a lot of fun. And also Mm -hmm. they make so much money at Universal and they put a lot of people to work Mm -hmm. for a good portion. Like a lot of people can make a good chunk of money. Especially after this like last 18 months of no work for any actor. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. But even if you don't go into the park, And I get it. Like it can be expensive and people are still Mm -hmm. worried about, you know, health and things like that. We were talking about on our show how we were comfortable with it because it's outside. Mm -hmm. You can wear your mask. You can, you know, wash your hands as much as possible. And, but if you don't go in, come have a beer with us. And, you know, all you have to do is really pay for parking and um, come hang out with us at CityWalk for a little while. And there's a lot of stuff
4: to do up there, even if you don't do Hollywood Horror Nights, yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's it's fun. It's worth it, guys. Come and hang out with
0: us, have a beer, have some cheese sticks with Bryce, you know. Just as long as there's (laughs) cheese sticks, we're all good in the hood, all right? Yes. (laughs) And maybe just throw in a couple of CBD gummies for Bryce so he can go in and just feel great loopy. (laughs) all right so we're going to be talking about one of the most in my opinion fight me on this yeah most haunted and violent hotel in downtown and I don't think it's the Cecil guys I don't even think it's the Alexandria it is the Barclay Hotel Mm. aka old school Van Nuys Hotel yeah so we are going to be talking about the many 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 crimes of this hotel like I mean when I think of the Cecil, it's like nothing in comparison to this hotel or any hotel for that matter in Los Angeles. I was shocked.
3: It's that thing where you start reading and like, right, we've all heard like, okay, yeah, I know some things about it. And then you start reading about everything that happened there and it just keeps going. Oh my God. Like again, another one, Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. So this is just a block that I will never go on. Like
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. From the moment that it was in, in the process of being built to the moment where it, you started to see the cracks and the deterioration mm. of this beautiful hotel. I mean, it just is a constant rotation of just bad luck and yeah. crimes. So um, real quickly, we're just gonna go over the bullet points of the history of the hotel, just to give, give you guys a background and also mm. um, the first two freak accidents. And then Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh will go over the crimes and murders and the two, not one, there were two serial killers that resided in the hotel. And um, what occurred there is unbelievable. It's like something straight out of a horror movie for sure. Yeah. And then we'll go into the paranormal association. Is there a paranormal residue in the hotel? Well, there is. We just uh, have been having a hard time trying to get good ghost stories because I guess it's so intense over there that I mean people don't want to share these personal experiences yeah. so yeah, we'll talk
3: about that a little bit more but I think it is yes. one of those situations where the people who have experienced things are no pun completely intended but they're genuinely haunted by what they've experienced so it's just like Absolutely. oh goodness like they don't want to talk about it these like people say one thing and then they're done they're like i'm sorry it's just very intense whereas like other hotels the roosevelt comes to mind it's like people can't mm. wait to talk about it because it's like cute and fun and like your features there and it's like all fine like everyone wants right. to see. Star
0: yeah, yeah
2: this right. is like
3: not that situation at yeah. all which if you've been to los angeles like even the areas in the city that these two hotels are reflect that like Hollywood Boulevard, where the Roosevelt is, is like cute and it's campy and there's tourists and like you go. It's a haunted mansion.
0: It's, it totally yeah. is.
3: It's like it's the Disney. theme park version. And then you go downtown, and you're like, the Barclay, oh, we're not safe. Like, like the we're just not safe. version
1: of hotels. Yeah. It is. But it is a prettier building than oh, the Cecil, oh God, yes. which is just like this big giant block, you know, yeah. this big enormous structure. But mm-hmm. at least the Barclay has some architecture to it. I've never been inside um i've seen some photos but it's it's a more aesthetically pleasing mm-hmm. building yes. <laughs> and right now if you guys go down there they have this really cool art installation on top of the building with three big giant crows perched on top looking down Hilarious. at the street which is <laughs> really really cool
0: yes and a you guys terrifying. are following us on Instagram. Shyla put it up on LA Not So Confidential and I know she tagged us on it and we put it on our Instagram story. It was hilarious. It looked like, it looked like the, <laughs> the monkeys from Wizard of Oz. They were so yes. Exactly,
4: right. exactly. so
0: large. I was like, the is. birds. Tippy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go into the history, a little bit of the history, and then the dark history, and then the ghost of the Barclay, guys. So in order to begin, we need to go all the way back, and we're going to go all the way back to the early 20th century. So uh, the Barclay was once called the Van Nuys Hotel, which is located off of 101 4th Street. And this hotel also um, was built not too far away from the Broadway sister location. So there was another Van Nuys Hotel that was called the Van Nuys Hotel. Um, and this one comes into play with another story that we'll, you know, share very soon. Hmm. The Van Nuys Hotel was uh, an investment property by SoCal pioneer Isaac Van Nuys, hence the name Van Nuys Hotel. It's a uh, six-story Beaux-Arts building at 4th and Main, claims its first casualty. So already, we already have a casualty in the works in September of 1896 A James McNally. And during its construction, according to newspaper reports, McNally, in company with other workmen, was engaged in hoisting a large oil tank, and the rope broke, and the tank fell with a crash. Now, McNally's right kneecap was broken. He was badly cut over the right eye and bruised over the body, but he made a full recovery and the building was soon completed. So already there is um, this close call with McNally, but it's just like this omen that opens the door for all this tragedy. Mm. Just, just me I,
1: tell me if my I kneecap know, ever gets right? shattered.
2: I know, That's I literally gave my the kneecaps. first thing I
3: thought too. I have like, I've dislocated my knee so many times, the thought of shattering. <laughs> Your kneecap, like I'm not trying to live out misery, like I'm good, thank you. Like, finish the story, Paul. But
4: <laughs> okay, well, now I'm just squeeged. We haven't even gotten to the haunting stuff, and I'm squeegeed out by your <laughs> knee problems. Ow! <laughs> oh,
0: what was the scariest thing out of this podcast?
2: Bryce's
3: knee,
0: 100%. It's the kneecaps, and then the hip, and then your liver, right? Those I know. are the three most well.
3: <laughs> I sold my liver years ago, so <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, oh, it's it's a good thing
4: you have another one to rely on. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs>
3: That's
4: anatomy.
0: So the Van Nuys Hotel opened its doors to the public in January 19th of uh, 1897, and it was the first hotel to provide telephone and electronic service to every room. There were 32 rooms on each floor with 60 private baths and 10 public baths, and it only took 200 and $75,000 to build, which I'm sure in today's money is like millions and millions.
2: Mm.
0: Now the deaths, the first two deaths were freak accidents. And it's due to the fact that the invention and introduction of the elevator was still in its earlier stages. So there were gonna be many malfunctions and problems with the introduction of this new machine. We see this accident occur inside the hotel with a bellhop by the name of Earl R. Newton. So this one actually occurred not in the Van Nuys Hotel off of 4th, the one that we're talking about. This actually happened in the Van Nuys Hotel in Broadway. And so I feel like a lot of people get this story confused with the 4th Street location. And this is stated uh, in J.M. Moore's book, The um, The Barclay Hotel. In June of 1900, a young girl was trying to holler at a cute girl uh, walking past the elevator and so he was like sticking his hat out like hey girl hey uh, shardy give me your oh, number no God. God. yes so he grabs a hold of the power rope for balance as he's sticking out his head from the um, inside of the uh, elevator and this is what triggered the elevator to start moving on its own towards the top of the floor so it was so quick that earl didn't react in time and the bottom half of his body was still in the elevator while the upper part mm-hmm. of the uh, of his body was overhanging in the second floor so his torso got caught between the elevator and i guess Yikes. the yeah top edge earl oh. of that doorway of the elevator and the floor and this caused his internal organs to be crushed along with having a massive blood rush to his head which caused his head to turn completely purple So, yes, this was the first death and poor Earl pretty much suffered a really gruesome death right here. Uh, J.M. Moore also states in in his book that this account conflicts of one from an article of the L.A. Times that stated that Earl was dusting the top of the elevator Mm. where he got caught and was crushed, which may have been confused for Charles Gamble. And this leads me into the next freak accident. So the hotel had only been open for two months. And this is the one that we're talking about, which is off a of fourth, uh, when tragedy struck and leading to this horrific death of a, a waiter by the name of Charles Gamble. Now, according to the L.A. Times, Gamble was one of the two waiters who, whose duty is uh, to deliver meals to the various rooms. And he, sent, uh, he was sent to the third floor to get a tray of dishes and returned by the elevator. And when the cage neared the first floor, the elevator boy, Robert White, turned the wheel of the lever the wrong way. And instead of stopping, the cage started up to the top again. And as they neared the third floor, the elevator boy reached for the door, opened it, and he just jumped out, leaving the elevator moving and Gamble inside. So apparently Gamble became frightened, uh, for he tried to get out also. As he stepped forward, stooping the top of the doorway, Ugh. it caught him and threw him forward. Uh, the floor of the elevator rising and pinning his legs above the thighs. Trigger warning: uh, they snapped like <laughs> stems. <laughs> Too late. <clay>. Too late. <laughs> <way>. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> According to the LA Times, um, they snapped like pipe stems, and the machine still going up held him by Blech. one foot only. And finally, wait—is
4: this, wait, is this the, the plot for Final Destination? Because yes. it <laughs> <is> sounds.
0: <laughs> it's, I feel like it is, it is, it is really gruesome how a lot of these freak accidents occurred, but they all, you know, surfaced and, you know, rose around this elevator. You know, this was something that people were not familiar with and they didn't know how this machine worked. They were just Mm -hmm. like, okay, if curiosity killed the cat was a person, unfortunately it would be these people because. I just feel like
3: it would take a lot. It takes a lot to get me to use the stairs, but like, mm -mm. yeah. (laughs) i'm not going in the elevator like i can't that was like at the school we used to work at tam that elevator was a literal death trap i was like if i don't have to go in that elevator i'm good Uh, i'll walk all four flights like no 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 no.
0: it would be fast and then it will gain speed and by the time you get to the top floor it would stop and then it would do this it was oh now it
3: was there was like bounce up and down like
0: is it, going it would like to step? it would be
3: like uneven with the floor, so if you weren't paying attention, you'd like go to walk into it, and it'd be like a foot down. You'd like was... fall into the elevator. Oh my
2: god! So I'm was... already like
3: primed to hate elevators, and then this story. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I don't <laughs> have my legs snapped off, so. <laughs>
1: well, and fierce. you should think like a hundred years after the elevator has come about, that it would be okay, right?
3: Nope, <laughs> Still doesn't not matter. So. Still afraid.
0: Yeah. It. <laughs> Even back then, like people were afraid of elevators, and to this very day, we are still afraid of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, poor Gamble, he's dangling by one foot, and then all of a sudden, he lost his grip and he went head first down the shaft. Mm -mm. Um, He suffered many fractures to the head and jawline. He also lost his left eye, and that is all according to the LA Times and the LA Herald as well. Over the next few years, more elevator accidents would occur. One of which in 1901 took the life of Joe Cato, a hotel employee. He was also another looky-loo. He was curious about the operations of the elevator. And, well, he was looking down the elevator shaft one evening, only to have his head crushed by a 5,000-pound weight of the elevator. So he was looking at this... how
3: fast (laughs) is this elevator going? Like...
0: I'm sure it's probably gaining speed as it's coming down from the sixth floor. And I don't think it's processing in their mind that this thing is coming down because Mm. um, the way that these elevators are built, is just um, it has a cage accordion door, like a metal accordion door that you open. And that's it. We don't have the two doors, you know, separating from one another and closing together in the middle. I'm sure what ended up happening is someone didn't close the cage door and poor Cato like was like, Oh, what's what's down the shaft? And before you know it, well, those
4: are everything you're talking about, Timmy, also are what we you know, our safety standards today. People mm-hmm. will bitch about regulations, federal mm-hmm. regulations and state regulations. But that's why those things exist is because people's heads kept getting chopped off, you know, Yeah. of course, like I'm the type of person I'm so fascinated by any kind of new technology. Mm-hmm. I would totally be the one sticking my, how does this work? <laughs> Boom. I'm telling. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's I mean, that's why we have <laughs> safety procedures and safety protocols nowadays. Yeah. So this wasn't the case for the bar play, And unfortunately um, Joe Cato uh, lost his life. Now, it doesn't say anything about his head being decapitated. It just says that his head was crushed. So I don't know if this is in reference to the so-called headless bellhop ghost story or legend that is attached to the Barclay that we'll definitely reach towards um, after we talk about the crimes of the hotel. So I'll pass the mic over to Dr. Scott and Dr. Dr. Shiloh because they're going to... Take us down this treacherous road of these horrific crimes.
1: Yeah, I, I'm sure there are a plethora of all types of crimes yeah. to choose from. <laughs> um, where do we start? We're, We're just going to focus on a
2: murder. <laughs> uh,
1: like many of the buildings and hotels built in downtown LA at the turn of the century, there is a sordid history of gruesome, mm. violent crimes all throughout the decades. One of the earliest victims of murder inside the hotel was an employee. Mm. So in 1902, there is not a lot of information on this at all, but the kitchen staff butcher was involved in a knife fight with another kitchen worker and he did not survive. His name was Evan Roberts and I mean, if a butcher can't win a knife fight, what does that mean for any of us? Seriously, <laughs> I know. I,
3: mean,
2: yeah.
1: I don't know why I have just beat it in my head, like with two jacks are tied together and wielding their knives, but in
4: really clean leather jackets. Oh, <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Yes. It's very choreographed. So that was I, yeah.
1: only a couple of years after the hotel even opened. Right. Yeah,
4: I think one of the things that comes up when Shiloh was doing the research as she was like organizing bullet points, I found it so interesting that they focused on the fact that L.A. was growing so quickly. Mm. And because of the weather that there and, you know, and the the sort of the promise of go west, young man and get rich. There were tons of transitional slash transient people coming and going mm. from the downtown area no matter how nice a hotel was right around the corner was likely going to be a flop house of some kind you know so there was a lot of transient people moving through los angeles at the time so one of the real mysteries that we found you know that that adds to this sort of compilation of crimes is in 1937 elizabeth rice was a wealthy 71 year old woman from akron ohio now she decided Mm -hmm. At 71, she was going to take a solo trip um, around the Panama Canal and then end up in Los Angeles. And clearly, almost 100 years ago, there's no yelp. There's no way to really check the area, like calling or like, what is this area like that I'm going to be driven to after I get off the boat? There's no way to really confirm any of that. She checked into the Barclay on December 29th. And by then it was going through really its first phase as a rundown hotel, Mm -hmm. even though it had really been built only a couple of decades before. Mm -hmm. So a few days later, a housekeeper found her seated in a chair in her hotel room with her skull severely Mm -hmm. fractured. Um, Articles of her clothing were scattered all around the room. The bedding was saturated with blood and the murder weapon was still in the room. It was a brick and it had been placed in the bloody sheets on the woman's bed. Now, what's weird is the motive didn't appear to be robbery because Elizabeth still wore a very large diamond ring and a gold watch sat on her dresser. And it doesn't look like there's any evidence of other um, valuables being taken from the room, unless there was something specific that that person was going for. And we don't, historically, that's gonna be lost to us, I think. Several months later, a mother and her 12-year-old daughter were murdered in the exact same way in their apartment on olive street, which is very close by. And that motive was determined to be sexual in nature as the sub, the suspect was referred to as a sex maniac. So is it someone that had access to the hotel room? Did they even bother to check to see if a 71 year old woman had any kind of sexual trauma? Right. You know, historically that might not have happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, It it was left in some newspapers as just a mystery. Like, we don't know what happened at all. It looks kind of weird. It wasn't robbery. But then if you look at the newspaper articles a little bit later, this horrific crime happens with the woman and her daughter, and they end up arresting somebody and connecting him to this crime as well, because he used a brick in both cases. Wow. So that, those are just, oh you know, chronologically some of the highlights, um, but we wanted to really highlight and discuss two serial killers that completely terrorized downtown Los Angeles, mm-hmm. really like three decades apart. And yes. they both hunted at the Hotel Barclay. So Scott, you want to talk about the LA slasher in the 40s? Oh, yeah,
4: I mean, and just yeah. just to drop a, a note, thanks for that intro into this, just to drop a note that for LA Not So Confidential, we had a Patreon and listener meetup downtown utilizing yeah. an absolutely fantastic downtown um, haunted and crimes tour that was absolutely the one of the best produced walking tours I've ever seen. And this guy gave us a lot of information about this hotel in particular. But um, to focus on really the first big serial killer that was noted was the LA slasher. So in 1944, on November 15th, badly mutilated bodies of two women were found at separate hotels in downtown LA. And of course, theme of the episode today, one of them was there at the Barclay. Um, The first victim was 25-year-old Virgie Lee Griffin. Mm -hmm. She was discovered at 2 p.m. on November 15th. She had been staying at the Barkley and her body had been found stuffed into a clothes closet. There was a large butcher knife and a razor found in the room next to her body. And she was mutilated in some pretty horrific ways, which is all part of public record. I think this is going back to Tammy, as you let us in, this is really important to note that like newspapers at that time had absolutely no boundaries when it came Fine. to listing you know, like legs being snapped like eye yeah. cleaners and like ow- eyes being gouged out too much blood. Like things you would actually never think about would be in a the L.A. Times or, you know, a, a supposedly reputable newspaper would never mm. publish those things now. Um, it was determined that Virgie had been murdered or at least she expired at around 8 a.m. that morning and i guess the murderer had to get an early start because he went on to murder another woman that very same day. Damn. The oh, second yeah. victim was 38-year-old Lillian Johnson. Mm-hmm. She was discovered just after 3:30 p.m. and Lillian was really badly mutilated um and it was noted in even public reports that mm-hmm. her breasts and vagina had been <sighs> dissected.
2: Yes, the Go so, T-
0: LA Slasher. Yes. Right that was a that was yeah i learned the hard way (laughs) (laughs) you could still find pictures of uh the post-mortem like the crime oh it just
4: flashes up yeah there's like flashes up on your web screen when you do a search absolutely very um while the death investigations were ongoing a description of the subset of the suspect was pulled out and uh distributed to all patrolmen on duty Mm -hmm. with lapd and there was a patrolman h.e Donlin. He recalled seeing a man who fit the description earlier in the day while he was doing his footbeat near 3rd and Hill Streets. He decided to check out the bars because he figured the subste- subject subject suspect could be picking up women in sort of the those establishments, like you know, let's find find somebody who's already inebriated and kind of not going to be all together. So at 5:30 p.m. he entered a bar at 326 South Hill Street just a few doors from where Lillian Johnson was found at the Barclay. So in this dark bar, he noticed a man was drinking a glass of wine and chatting up this woman. And the man was holding a book of matches from Hotel Barclay. So the man was arrested. His name was Otto Stephen Wilson. And when he was taken into custody, his hands were found to be stained with blood and he had a razor in his pocket. So I guess that's why the dark bar was working is you just didn't want to bother go washing your hands. Hey, it's dark in here. Who's going to see? Maybe they'll think it's wine because I'm drinking wine. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. He did confess to the two murders by 7.30 p.m. And he just stated that he started having impulses to kill about three months earlier. So they did a little bit of a history on him the medical discharge from the Navy for what was then called sexual psychosis. And, um, when they interviewed his wife, um, she reported that he had once waited for her to get out of the shower and then sliced her buttocks with a razor and began to lick at the drops of blood. Oh my gosh. So interesting sexual psychosis. Like it's, it's almost, we, when we as psychologists Mm. looking sort of at evaluative and diagnostic criteria, When we hear something like this from, you know, decades ago, we can't use our current diagnostic criteria. We have to go back to, well, what did that mean at the time? Mm -hmm. Um, And probably what that, that discharge meant was that he had raped several women and had shown no remorse and they was acting out sexually in some
1: capacity, you know, who knows, but clearly there were issues working all the way up until that day. Now,
0: were these women, like, just random women that he would find on the street, or were they prostitutes?
1: They didn't say, um, but I know that the first victim, Virgie, when they checked in, they checked in together as husband and wife. Oh. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like he just had met her, and maybe from the night before, because it was determined that she was killed at about 8 a.m., remember? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if they had spent the night together. Um, again, it's hard to piece together some of this stuff from the newspaper reports. Yeah. Um, you know, whether or not they were or he was picking them up in bars during the day. I mean, maybe we can kind of allude to that mm. since it was daytime. And mm-hmm. But, you know, uh, this was the 40s. You know, this is prime like Black Dahlia and mm. lipstick murders. And yeah. some of the homicide detectives that worked the L.A. Slasher case were the same ones that worked the Dahlia murders. So it was just a wild time down there. Yeah. What a time to be alive during oh, that era. Oh, my Oof. goodness. Yeah.
0: It's like, it's, it's such a toss-up. Like, I always wonder, was it the 40s or the 80s? That was the most deadliest decade. Mm. And it's, it's such a tie. I feel like it's
1: neck and neck. Well, let me tell you about the mid-70s. And you can uh, <laughs> derogate <laughs> right now. Segway, segway,
3: segway. segway.
1: We love <laughs> Um So... <laughs> This other serial killer, yeah, three decades later, just about, is the Skid Row slasher. So we got another slasher in that same, you know, few blocks of area. And this was Vaughn Greenwood. He was responsible for a number of murders and violent attacks, both here in L.A. and also in Chicago, basically spanning 10 years, starting in 1964 to 1975. And there is a very interesting Hollywood tie-in to this story. But he was from the Midwest. Um, He made his way to the West Coast, earning a living as a migrant field worker. And he committed his first known murder out here at the age of 20. And what he, his first murder, the start of his murder spree, he killed two homeless men in back-to-back days in November of 1964, slashing their throats and stabbing them repeatedly. And one of them was left literally on the steps of the LA Central Public Library. Oh, weird. So people coming in that morning, the workers found this body there. Mm. He then went to Chicago um, and was suspected for two more similar attacks. He was acquitted actually of one man's murder before returning to Los Angeles 10 years later to start his murder spree again. So when he went to Chicago, he was still preying on a homeless population, hmm. um, but they really couldn't ever tie him. Well, they tied him enough to arrest him and try him for the murder, but he was acquitted. So he hmm. comes back to LA and between December of 1974 and February of 1975, just a really like a three month span, Greenwood, ki- Greenwood killed several victims on Skid Row. And then he moves on to the Hollywood area hmm both areas with still a high transient homeless population. Um, And it was like that to this day, unfortunately. (laughs) I know. I know. Exactly. I mean, it, it really has been decades long here in the Los Angeles area that these are areas that people can prey on the destitute. Um, Mm -hmm. So his seventh victim in this spree. So there were, there were many, but his seventh victim was Samuel Suarez And he was a drifter who was staying in room 528 of the barclay hotel and he was found there the next morning having been having been killed by greenwood and greenwood would cut their throats from ear to ear some Mm. trigger warning some down to the spine And there was evidence that the killer drank the blood of the victims. Mm -hmm. So he had left cups of blood in the areas of where the victim's bodies were, Mm -hmm. including rings of salt around the corpses. Mm -hmm. The shoes were also removed from the victims and then pointed back at the victims, uh, which is interesting because back then you're talking about the 70s and 80s. There's whole this whole concept of satanic panic, right? Yeah. So of course, you know, Scott and I looked into this and we're like, this is nothing. This is someone with clearly psychosis, probably doing something that he thinks is satanic in nature, perhaps. Sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, certainly the newspapers and the cops kind of ran with that. Um, there was also some unexplained and cryptic markings and mutilations on the body and around the wounds um don't know exactly what that was but that just kind of fed into that whole thing of the sort of vampirism satanic mm. panic issue um his 10th victim could have been the actor burt reynolds when he moved on to
3: hollywood not Bert.
1: <laughs> no and his i mustache. know i know dr Charlotte say if not so <laughs> well, uh, spoiler alert: it was not Burt Reynolds. Oh, thank but God. we, can, oh we can
3: continue on then. Yeah.
1: When he moved over into the Hollywood area, one night he broke into Burt Reynolds' home, was basically lying in wait for him to get home. But Burt, Burt. Reynolds, Burt Reynolds was out on the town with Dinah Shore that night, <laughs> and he talks about this actually in an interview on her show. And the guy waits around, gets bored and actually breaks into a home just up from Burt Reynolds attacking two men who lived there. And in the meantime, those men survive. Um, One of them actually fights with him so hard that they fall out a window and the Skid Row slasher goes running, but he runs past Burt Reynolds' house just as Burt Reynolds is kind of stumbling in from his night out Burt Reynolds looks out the window, sees this dude literally dressed in the outfit from the good, the bad, and the ugly that Clint Eastwood had given Burt Reynolds. So he stole his clothes while he was waiting for him. Oh, God, that's so (laughs) creepy. Oh, that is so disturbing. And he said he just, like, slowly walks by him, and they lock eyes. And then his neighbor comes crawling into his, his home with his stomach stabbed asking for help. So Burt Reynolds actually had to testify at the trial. Um, he said that he, he did some testimony on the, on the witness stand. And then as he was leaving out through the courtroom, he had to walk past Vaughn Greenwood. And he said that Vaughn Greenwood was just writing on a notepad over oh and over God. again, must kill Burt Reynolds, oh must my God. kill Burt Reynolds. Um, and it's kind what? of creepy because burt reynolds said when someone asked him like well what did this guy look like and von greenwood was a very large black man yeah. and he said he looked like oj simpson <laughs> which was such
4: weird oh. foreshadowing <laughs> yeah and which he and you can uh you can watch that clip on youtube of him on the dinah shore show yeah telling the story and i, I think that he discovered the neighbor had already made it into his house and was crawling through the kitchen, yeah. holding yeah. his intestines in. Oh. Yep.
1: Because he yeah. had been
4: cut so badly.
1: Yeah. So Greenwood gets arrested after that incident because as he's fleeing in the Hollywood Hills, he drops a piece of mail that was in his pocket um, that had his address and his name on it.
2: Wow. Um,
1: so the cops finally put together, because it's the same MO. From Hollywood to Mm -hmm. Skid Row, um, and he was convicted of nine counts of murder in January 1977 and sentenced to life imprisonment.
0: Oh my God!
1: But again, one
4: one thing I would add, uh, just like we don't, I never want to go too far into the Satanic Panic thing because so much of that is non-legitimate at all. However, in some um, some uh, Southern, um magic practices and there's one you don't lump them all in there's a lot of different things down there in the south um positioning of shoes actually is like a very big thing in when you're trying to harm someone like pointing them in or pointing them out or putting things in shoes now once again the guy could have just been completely psychotic and never even been to the deep south or had any exposure to that but i did find that interesting as we yeah. were looking at that case
1: Yeah, so we we have the victims of two serial killers found at the Barclay. Damn. And this is why I really think this place is much
0: more violent than any of the other places. Because of just the types of serial killers that stayed there and Mm -hmm. the crimes that they committed there were just so unimaginable. I mean that is really
4: hardcore this is not light stuff at all Mm -hmm. these are like significant historical events that seem to all have this weird intersection you know uh at that particular geographical location yeah
0: and it turns out that i mean there was still a heavy cloud over this hotel because um after that it turns into i guess uh, low-income apartments Right. And, um, especially during that time, during the seventies, I think it was still functioning as that. And, Mm -hmm. um, it went through a series of fires. It went through three different types of fires from what I researched here too. And I know the last two, there's one where it did claim a couple, I think one life and, um, the other two that were to follow, fortunately, no one, you know, had a pass from, you know, those two incidents, so it it just seemed like there was this constant heavy cloud over this hotel and like Dr. Scott you mentioned before I mean it was just the area and the time and I feel like this hotel was just put in an area where it just faced a lot of dark times in Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. In your opinions and this is just like an open question for everyone like do you think it was the location or do you think like just the energy that it absorbed from people coming in and out from a lot of transients coming in and out throughout the decades. Did it absorb so much of the negativity during, mm. you know, that time during that era? Um, I know it went through the great depression. It also had witnessed, um, you know, people going through, uh, the trials and tribulations of the world wars and
1: so on sure. and so forth. Um, what do you guys Yeah. Think? I, you know, I feel like, It really grew with Los Mm. Angeles. And we've talked about this and we did a whole vintage series of kind of Los Angeles noir Mm. crimes from that time period. And the city was such a reflection of just the explosion in population, the different types of people that were coming here, the corruption, the organized crime that was there very early. um, And then as a result of all those devastating national events, like you're talking about, whether it's a economic depressions mm-hmm. or wars and veterans coming back, it's just really the the center and the heart of LA. Yeah. Now in more recent decades, obviously like this border skid row, mm-hmm. um, like really right on the border, it's skid row is getting bigger and bigger, I feel yeah. every single month. Yeah. Um, but then there's a lot of resources for the unhoused down there. So the shelters, you know, the, um, the soup kitchens, all of that. Mm -hmm. So you have that population that has grown and found resources there. Um, and so many of these old hotels have become SRO housing, the single Mm -hmm. resident occupancy housing, um, just because, people need to be off the street. I mean even yeah. the Cecil right now which is not open not functioning for anything they still have about a dozen SRO residents there. Mm. So you can see lights on in there at night. Yes. Don't there are people, started. I know. <laughs> I love people
0: like look it's haunted if you go on TikTok and you like click on the hashtag yeah. Cecil it is ridiculous no. just how people are like no it's haunted I saw a light flicker <laughs> on and I'm like there's still people living there. Yeah. That are low income. And from what I was told, it was originally supposed to be a hotel. I think they were going to cut half of the complex into hotels and the other into SROs. But I think now they're going to completely do the whole entire building as SROs, I think, from here on out.
1: The last I heard was that a New York developer owns Mm -hmm. it. There are some city ordinances that a particular percentage has to be SRO. Mm -hmm. But... The last that Scott and I heard, especially we were talking to some friends that were in the documentary of the Cecil Hotel. And I know some, uh, I will say, colleagues of mine that work down there that are familiar with the establishment that they are planning on doing a high end hotel in part of it, mm-hmm. including a rooftop swimming pool, which sounds terribly so like exploitative. With the whole elisa lamb issue but oh yeah they're going to be a lot of dark tourism we just veered so off your right. original question
4: <laughs> i mean so the, what i would say is that and i'm you know shiloh and i are typical um Mulder and scully i'm <laughs> more i mean i i'm i am uh more skeptical than i was in my youth but i do think that there's a lot of factors that come to bear so we've talked about economic factors. We talk about explosive growth and population, and then like who's funding the hotels that keep it up, and then it comes down, or you know, over the decades, it's it's clean, it's functioning hotel, then it becomes low income housing. But I do think that like, and I don't. <laughs> here, this is so weird. So excuse me, excuse me for my soapbox, but like mm-hmm. one of the things when we talk about the idea of the term supernatural is mm. that's such a misnomer because nothing su- supersedes nature. Mm. It There's only the idea of that. There are things out there that we don't yet understand that we can't quantify. And we have, we quantify things now in this decade that a hundred years ago would have been thought to be magic in, in yeah. many ways and in, in our use of technology. Mm-hmm. So In the same way that like, and this is a a broad reach, so apologize to any statisticians out there, but like when they've done extensive studies on perpetrators of uh, rape, you know, sexually Mm -hmm. violent predators, what we have found out is that they are so feral, advanced Mm -hmm. feral in their perception of victims that they pick out victims instantaneously on the street. That's a victim. Can't get her, that's a potential victim. I mean, it's it's that quick. Wow. And they they've talked about it in multiple interviews. So I think that there's a, on another level that there's always the possibility that instinctually people are pulled towards where they're going to be victims. And wow. but but what is that about? Is it about olfactory senses that we don't know that we mm-hmm. have? Or is it intuition that is used for, you know, nefarious purposes? Mm. I'm convinced that there is something there that draws them, you know, like I I think that it's right now we call it coincidence, but there is something else out there operating that people gravitate towards uh, locations where horrific things have have happened. I mean, I think that Ryan Murphy and his American horror story concepts of using as the murder house is sort of a fictionalized version of that that just people I are 100% drawn agree towards with this. That.
0: Absolutely. There is like this this monument, this thing that just attracts Everyone from all walks of life that have this one thing in common, whether it's like this dark, as as I like to call it, and like it's
4: a vibe, right?
0: Vibe, yeah. Yeah. It's like we all have dark passengers. I'm taking this from the show Dexter, but I really, (laughs) when they he brings up his dark passenger, I'm like, yes. I feel like everyone, no matter how great we are, we have that dark passenger in our mind. And that mine just
4: eats uncontrolled. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> mine just will not fucking stop eating. That's my <laughs> that dark Dark like,
0: <laughs> You want to go to the hamburger habit, don't no. you?
4: <laughs> Look, Randy's Donuts is right around the corner. Yeah. They have oh. a fresh apple fritter. Yeah. Look at the apple fritter. Smell the apple fritter. Do it.
0: Well, it turns out, too, back in June of 2017, the hotel did take its last victim. As of right yeah. now, I don't know if you guys were familiar with this case, but it was the passing of firefighter Kelly Wong. Yeah. I do, yeah. Just uh, in June of 2017, um, I guess the he, Kelly Wong was doing a training exercise in this hotel slash apartments because I know that the Barclay can be rented out to film projects, uh, to TV shows. It could be leased to, you know, different organizations. And it turned out that the Los Angeles firefighters were actually using this for training exercises. Um, it turned out that Kelly Wong had fell to his death during a training exercise at the hotel. And that was the last recorded death um, to date
2: mm-hmm.
0: at the Barclay, which nice I'm job. just like, I, I mean, another freak accident Is it like, yeah. it's repeating itself.
4: Um, one of the things that we talk about in our noir episode uh, about downtown Los Angeles that's really fascinating is there's there are two streets, but one is used more than the other. And I think it's third, but there's a good uh, three block section of buildings that can still be used to film period pieces from the 30s wow. and 40s because none of the buildings have been changed. All they have to do is go in and change the signage.
3: Or right, digitally
4: yeah. erase the signage, but it's still mm-hmm. all physically there. And this is great about how the economy is coming back. Certainly in California, California is rocking the econ- its economy right yeah. now. We have so much growth and there's not a single soundstage available in Southern California right now because that so many films are being filmed. And as I drove to work yesterday from teaching, there was a film crew outside the Berkeley filming Oh, wow, Uh yep. with I mean trailers everywhere so I love seeing that I love seeing that like these historic buildings are preserved in that way and you know what everybody needs to be housed in a responsible and ethical mm-hmm. way and you know I think LA is is headed in the right direction trying to do that there's but you know it's a complex issue because I'm sure we always get people that want to chime in from other parts of the country about what's going on in Southern California I'm like yeah 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 you know come out here and we'll show you how complex it is it's not an easily that was the
3: thing was so crazy during this like farce of a recall not to be super political but i'm gonna do it anyway but like (laughs) so many people who don't live in california and i've only lived here 10 years so it's like my understanding is even very limited but so many people from other states frankly states that are not doing that well right now like no yeah but like your state in the ranking of the 50 is very low and you're going to talk about California when like Los Angeles is like the seventh biggest economy in the world. Yeah. Right. And you're going to like chime in with your opinion. Like,
4: well, we're good. We're Stay really good Stay in your state. Yeah, yeah. Stay yeah. in like, your lane. That's good. Thank you. We're so good. <laughs> we'll- like, you know. We've got the the best crimes and ghosts, anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: yeah, the best crimes, the ghosts, the history, everything, coffee. <laughs> so, yeah. mm-hmm.
4: oh, and by the way, I mean, I will say one last thing about that. Bryce is mm-hmm. like, now that that farce of a recall is over, I'd mm-hmm. like my money back. I'd like my taxpayer Same. money back that was wasted, wasted on that. Just
3: such a waste. So you're speaking 35 about 35 million. Like, yeah. There is I like, there's mean. a housing crisis in this city and in this state, and it's just like, again, I'm not really trying to be super political, but it's just very frustrating that like, we're still in a pandemic, there's still a homeless crisis. Like we're in a drought, the state's on fire. Like I can think of many reasons to spend $300 million. Yep. I I mean, I could go and just get coffee for that. Like, honestly, there's just so many things that could have been done that are positives instead of like, let's recall, I, I don't know. It's just such a mess. Like people really ultimately do hate being told no. And that's just what it really comes down to is like, yes, don't tell me no. Don't tell me that I can't do every single thing that I feel entitled to. It's like what? I'm sorry. People feel very,
1: very powerless right now. Yeah, understandable. Get it back in ridiculous ways.
3: But I would also like my money back. So yes,
1: (laughs) you do want our money back. Well, speaking of the word
0: no, yeah. (laughs) Transition. Transition. Uh, We're going to go into the paranormal aftermath of this hotel. I just want to say that it was very difficult to find stories. I do have one that surfaced by the grace of God. Um, Mm -hmm. I brought up J.M. Moore's book, The Barclay Hotel, which is a great read. Moore really goes in depth with Mm -hmm. the newspaper articles, research and history, and even the crime of the hotel. Um, Moore also puts um, their personal antidotes in regards to like the building and what they think of the history of the building. Mm. So Moore lived in this building of the Barclay from 2007 and then moved out for uh, I think in 2012 for oh. personal reasons, personal reasons. It wasn't the ghosts, mm. but towards the end of uh, Moore's book, they described the experiences of living in the hotel as wonderful and also with supernatural experience and spiritual, elements to it there's a lot of ghost stories attached to that and more and i had been in contact because i wanted to get a ghost story at least one from more and unfortunately i couldn't get that so that was the power of no
2: right there yes
0: Um, By the book but, people By the yeah. book so he is currently working on a book a follow-up of just the ghost story so it's going to be a second part to the barclay where it's just going to focus on the paranormal mm-hmm. association which i'm really excited about because i'm really oh, that's curious great more yeah so it, i mean i thought it was a really cool thing that um more you know made this first book um just mm-hmm. focusing on the history provided with um, support of articles and uh, research that he did in regards to the crimes and the deaths connected to the building and um, his personal experiences along with the films and shows that were shot there. So um, my question to him was, can you at least tell me if W. author Phipps and his poor dog, Teddy,
2: still wrote the the
0: calls of this hotel. So for those who are not familiar with W. Arthur Phipps, he was a very wealthy elderly man who actually kind of lived in the hotel mm-hmm. um, throughout the last years of his life. He was a bit of a recluse in a way they called him the ghost of the Van Nuys Hotel, AKA Barclay, because he you know, sequestered himself in his living quarters. He was in fear of the black hand. He felt like people were out to get him and his money and unfortunately in 1911 he passed away of cirrhosis but before his passing teddy his dog was also killed in front of the hotel i think mm-hmm, it dog. was yes the poor dog was uh i think he was in the way of uh marble that was on top of a truck and it kind of crushed him to death i nice. could be wrong i would have to go back in my research but i know that teddy did die Um, on the property of the hotel. And is it possible that Teddy and Phipps roam the halls? We're going to have to find out based on J.M. Moore's second book of the Barclay and those stories connected. And Teddy had his own headstone made for
3: him. Yes.
0: Yes, he had a custom casket Mm -hmm. and they were taken to Phipps Ranch for burial. So it it was such a sad story to hear about Phipps and his dog, Teddy. But my biggest question is, Do they roam the halls? So I contacted the hotel to ask to speak with the site manager only to have a date and time scheduled. And then soon when that date and time arrived, I was uh, greeted with um, the message that the site manager had suffered, uh, was suffering from COVID and wasn't able to do an interview. But his assistant was able to answer any questions that I had. And we were so, we we're going to postpone the interview for, I think, within the next two and a half weeks. And I said, no, actually, we have uh, to record this episode this Saturday. Can you at least um, share with me any personal experiences of the paranormal, any ghost stories you might have, things that have occurred to you that you've witnessed that were mm. unexplainable? And I quote, and I wrote this down. This is according to him. I quote, I have had a few experiences here that I don't wish to have posted in a newspaper or on the radio referring to the podcast. All I can say is that I've expla- I've experienced things here that are very personal and unexplainable. And mm. So in some vague way, I feel like he was saying there are things here that we cannot explain that it happened. Mm. But I don't know if he's confirming that the hotel, aka the apartments of the Barclay, are haunted. But sounds like it
1: to me. It Damn. does.
0: But there is uh one listener who messaged me a while ago when um they saw us post about the Far play She messaged me, she didn't want to use her name. Um she said that she had an uncle who was working security for one of the shows that was being shot there is a oh, T weird show.
2: Small
0: world. And yeah, it was a very small world. So when the show wrapped, according to her, her uncle said that um, he was doing his final walkthrough um, after everybody left to make sure that no one stayed behind, that everything was locked up. And he heard what sounded like commotion coming from one of the floors. He went to go up and investigate and he mm. saw a shadowy figure. And at first, he thought it was someone from the crew, probably picking up something or maybe just wandering around. But he noticed that one, he didn't hear footsteps, and two, he could kind of see through the shadowy figure. Ugh. So that was something that, um, yeah, is unexplainable. And from uh, what I've read in other blogs, you know, people have uh, you know experienced doors closing on their own and the typical flicker of the lights. So like J. M. More stated in the email to me we're just going to have to wait for this book and you know his accounts of what occurred in the bar play
1: so um, when we were doing our walking tour we mm-hmm. stopped across the street from it and our guide was telling us some of the stories and there was like a big bay like maybe where they get deliveries mm-hmm. and sporadically these lights would start flickering in the bay and it was so creepy because it was you know it's kind of like this tunnel like And we would say, like, oh, the light's flickering. And then he would turn around and it would stop. (laughs) And then Uh. he'd start talking again. And then the lights would start flickering, like a big light, um, (laughs) from inside this this delivery bay. So it was kind of fun. I mean, it's probably some, maybe it's a site manager just fucking with us. He's like, who knows?
0: They were very nice. They were very, very sweet. The first guy I spoke to was a security guard, and um, he gave me the info for the site manager. And then I spoke with the assistant. They were all sweet. Um, But yeah, it just, I guess, like, you know, when we talked about earlier, especially with like trauma and the paranormal, like, this is something that is so personal and so private for them that, you know, it's just uh, they revisit their trauma again. So I I totally understand, you know, with not wanting to share and i definitely wanted to respect that uh, i believe there is one legend that you guys did bring up before about the headless bellhop so supposedly there is a legend of an apparition of a headless bellhop that has been seen primarily around the elevator area um on i don't know in uh, what type of floor i think probably the second or third floor but there is a legend that people have seen an apparition of a bellhop or a headless bellhop which is interesting because as I mentioned before, with the freak accidents, nothing was stated that any of the bellhops or raiders lost their head in these freak accidents with the elevators. Exactly. I know we just had that poor gentleman. His skull was crushed. But other than that, um, who knows who that is? So, Or
4: it could be sort of a portmanteau of different stories that have been blended together yeah. and you know become sure. sort of myth by now.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It could have been like something that was watered down. So who knows? I'm sure that there is some activity. I know that based on J.M. Moore's book, uh, there's this little snippet where he discusses where um, he was looking at rooms with the manager. He saw one room on one floor that gave him good vibes. And then when he went to, I think it was mm. the second or third floor, he went to go see this other room. He was like, I just had this gut feeling of no, there's something oh. here and I just didn't want to be a part of it. So I went with the first room. And it was kind of funny because of the freak accidents happened between, or be, yeah, in between the second. And the third floor. Oh right. So Lord knows what kind of uh, residue was left behind because of those accidents yeah. with the with the elevators and the bellhops. But it's so traumatic that it could have mm. left something there—a
1: residual and energy. Scott, are you broadcasting live from the inside the Barclay right now? Can you just I go could, to the second floor and let us it know? Could
4: be. <laughs> Please don't take
3: the elevator. Please <laughs> yeah. take the stairs. Thank yeah. you.
4: Yeah.
1: Yes.
3: That's like
4: the. This is like the best Zoom background I've yeah, ever yeah. found. I did. I'm really, really, just really jealous. Really quick,
0: <laughs> I'm really jealous here. I feel like an, I'm in like an OnlyFans, like at my bed right here. Yeah, <laughs> hey,
4: well,
3: you got the her, her background.
4: First, weird. hey, no, if you're gonna eat that pickle, get really close to the mic, Tammy. Oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> This is a
3: Christian <laughs> podcast, wow. how dare you?
0: <laughs> well, guys, that was a brief history of the Barclay Hotel and its yes. True Crime and Paranormal Association. Once again, check out uh, J.M. Moore's book, The Barclay Hotel, and look out for his second edition, which will include paranormal stories, his accounts of what it was like staying at the Barclay um, during the time that he was living there and also the accounts of others who worked there while he was living there. So mm. look out
1: for that. A shout out to him.
2: Yes. And
1: thank you for being a tease more. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> why don't we just go rent a room at one of those places and stay there for a while and then we can write our own book. And then yeah. uh,
4: yes.
1: there we, we go. Need
4: to all, we need to all go to the Lizzie Borden house. Oh my God. Because it's a bed <laughs> yes. and breakfast now. I would love yes. that.
1: Yes. Rent the
4: whole thing out for the night.
1: Are they still selling it? They haven't sold it, huh? Oh, yeah. It was up for sale. Both of the houses, her where wow. the murders occurred and then where she moved to. Yes. we both. People cross. Yes. That yeah. That one. Yeah.
0: That one is still up for sale. The Conjuring house is for sale as well. That's oh, right. Oh, I in saw that. Island. Yeah. So it's pretty sad for a lot of people. And I want to state this because I know that people want to run with the story. But the Heizens and their daughter, Madison, posted videos why they're selling the house. It has nothing to do with the paranormal. It's because partially that it, it, it emotionally, mentally, and for personal reasons, they had to sell mm, and yeah. nothing to do with spirits, making them sick or pushing them over the edge. Actually, if you listen to other interviews with them, the living were far more worse <laughs> than the dead. I yeah. bet. They were experiencing wow. people breaking in and still breaking into this day onto oh the property so it took a toll on their stress they're like what yeah. the hell's going on so yeah mm. that um locations being um is still listed on redfin and on zillow for yeah. 1.2 million they are hoping Ooh. that it goes into the right hands good mm. i'm thinking we could do a really really nice big bake sale in beverly hills and we could- <laughs> okay you could go ahead and purchase it. <laughs> do do it. Take care of it.
3: Cool our assets.
0: <laughs> and once more, guys, um, October 9th, we'll have Ooh. our meet and greet at the NBC Bar and Grill. And here is where we're going to do our plugins. So please follow Hollywood Paranormal on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram at Hollywood Paranormal, and on Twitter at HWP Podcast. We have a website which is www.hollyweirdparanormal.com. And La Not So Confidential, you want to do your plugin
1: Sure. We do not have a TikTok because we are old. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I would love to
0: see Scott do a dance. Yes.
4: <laughs> no, you wouldn't. Actually,
1: <laughs> Scott is thinking about his own ideas for a Tik Technically correct. I have an account, but it's just to watch my kid on hers. Yeah. Aww. Um, and she adores you, Tammy. Um, this is more for an offline conversation, but she would love to meet you. Um, Aww. And, but you can find us on the big three um, Instagram. We're at LA not so podcast on Twitter LA Not So Pod and then of course we're on Facebook with LA Not So Confidential and we have a brand new website that we just got Got zhuzhed up it's beautiful it has every uh, collaboration we've ever done there's links to it so you can find more uh, Hollywood Paranormal content there Uh, but it's LA dash not dash so dash confidential dot (laughs) com there's just it's our name with dashes in between each word Um, and we would love to have any of you folks who have not come over and tried us out please come on try us out thank you guys i mean it i guess lizzie borden is the last collab we did yes um, last year so this was great great timing can't wait to see you guys in person yes can't wait to see everyone all your beautiful faces
0: come and share a drink with us uh and some mozzarella sticks and Ah some fun yes. scares as we enter the park so <laughs> thank you guys so much thank you bring comfortable footwear yes. yes oh my god yes, yes. better
1: footwear oh, absolutely time. pay <laughs> attention to our social media we'll put all the details <laughs> up there for that
0: absolutely hat. all right guys stay holly weird paranormal and we'll catch you very shortly within the mm. next week or two with our next episode we'll be doing haunted school so stay holly Ooh. weird guys have a good one
2: bye bye, bye folks